Ephesians chapter 6, as we are winding down our series on the book of Ephesians, looking at what it means to live a spirit-filled life and how the Holy Spirit works in our relationships and in our family relationships. This today is focused in particular on parent-child relationships and newly developing this past week as we are having a parenting seminar coming up in October. Um, Paul Tripp, who wrote this book, uh, parenting, 14 Principles of Gospel-Centered Parenting. If you're not familiar with it, um, Paul, or with him, Paul Tripp is one of the, in my opinion, um, best writers who infuses biblical insight with very practical wisdom and those two things together. He was a pastor for many years, professional counselor for decades, and now as a writer and author. We contacted him to give this seminar here at Cornerstone, and he respectfully declined. And... Um, and shortly after he respectfully declined, found out that there is a national um, simulcast that is, he is doing coming up at the end of the month. Um, and what we are doing, we as a church have purchased a, a license for the simulcast. And um, we are not showing it at the simulcast night, namely to be better use of our time. But we are having, the, we are having it played on Friday, October 6th for parts 1 and 2, and Friday, October 13th for parts 3 and 4. The reason why we broke it up like that is because we know it's fall sports season and many people's Saturday mornings are occupied, so as opposed to going Friday night and Saturday, um, we went two Friday nights to hopefully make it as available as possible for the families in our church to attend. Um, so that is coming up, and I highlight that because this is a great book, so it will be a great lesson as he's teaching from that. It's also some of the content is something that I'm drawing, drawing from here this morning. Let's turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 6. Paul gives this admonition, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let's pray for God's spirit. Father, we ask that you would make us a spirit-filled church and spirit-filled families and spirit-filled homes. So, Father, send your spirit, now we pray, to apply your words to our hearts and to our souls, that we would honor you first and foremost in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Children, obey your parents. Not very profound. Right? I mean, that's not a very profound insight, that's not a very profound comment, nor is it, nor is it particularly unique that in a church I'm saying children obey your parents as a command and admonition. In fact, it's not really that profound anywhere. In fact, this is one of the things that is pretty much universal. Pagan philosophers, Greek and Roman ancient philosophers, they taught that parents, that children should obey their parents. You move over across the globe to Asia. And you have the writings of Confucius that taught that children should obey their parents. And that developed particularly within Asian culture, um, within Korea, China, Japan, the other Asian, Asian, culture, Asian countries over there, uh, developed particularly into a very strong reverence and respect for elders and for an older generation. Not only that, but you can go to any tribal structure, and there is this thing that is taught and enforced, which is children should obey their parents. So as we come to this topic, one, it's not particularly surprising that the Bible would also encourage that children should obey their parents. It's not particularly Christian. It's not a particularly unique concept. 
In fact, it's something that philosophers would say is rooted in natural law. This is just the way that the world works. As the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, the way that things were designed for children to obey their parents. So that is not particularly new or particularly unique, nor is it particularly Christian in that comment or in that instruction. But what is, and what is distinct, and what is unique is why we are called to do this and why the relationship between children and parents in a Christian home should look different than those that are seeking to apply natural law in other places in the globe. So let's understand what the Apostle Paul says here. He gives, we're going to break this into two halves, the instructions for children and subsequently the instructions for parents. He instructs children. Those of you who are here, those are all of us at one point. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There is a qualifier is not to obey your parents in everything, but to do so for those who are in the Lord. Obey them in the Lord. That is, you obey them because out of response and love for God. And of course, you should never obey your parents in doing something that is wrong or sinful. And it always surprises me how many, the vast number of parents that encourage their children or ask their children to disobey God or to do things that are wrong or sinful. Nonetheless, called to obey their children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because it's right. This is just the way that the ordering of life is supposed to occur. This is just how things are designed. Children should obey their parents. And Scripture emphasizes this more broadly because disobedience to parents is a serious issue. Consider what Paul writes in Romans. He's describing what happens when people individually and collectively as a group of people and as a society as they turn away from God. And he talks about the the degradation and the downward spiral that occurs when people center their lives on themselves instead of centering their lives on God. And this is his description of what a godless community and what a godless life looks like. He says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Well, what should, what should not be done that God gave them up to? It says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They're full of envy and murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. Pretty horrendous things. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Surprising, is it not? That disobedience to parents is put at the same level as murderers, haters of God, inventors of evils, those who are foolish, faithless, heartless, and rootless. It's a serious issue, and other passages of Scripture would emphasize it as well. Now, the question is, why is this such a profound and such a serious issue? At its heart, the issue of honoring your parents and obeying your parents and respecting your parents is an issue of submission to authority. And submission... It's an issue for every one of us. It's an issue for every person who is a sinner, which is every one of us. It's an issue for us because to submit to the will of another means that you are going to do what they say and not what you say. 
You're going to do what they want to do and not what you want to do. You're going to do what they want to do when you want to do the exact opposite of what they want you to do. It's hard. In fact, submission and, and, and obedience for us is somewhat unnatural because of our sinful tendencies is because the way that sin works in our lives is that sin puts me at the center of the universe. Sin puts me at the center that says the world revolves around me. I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care what God says. I know that God might say that this is wrong, but, you know, in this situation, I know what is right. I know what is best. I know what I need to be doing right now. I know what needs to be happening. I'm going to do it because I'm at the center and I understand these things. Sin, which is any violation of God's laws or command, as Paul Tripp writes, causes me to not want, causes me to want to do what I want to do, when and how I want to do it. Sin makes me resist being told what to do by another. Sin really does insert me in the center of my world, the one place that I must never be, because it is the place for God and for God alone. Sin inserts me in the center of my world, which is the one place that I must never be. Because that place is reserved for God and for God alone. So the issue of submitting to authority, honoring authority, obeying God, obeying the authorities that God has put into us, is an issue for every one of us. In fact, it's an issue that you encounter day by day, moment by moment. It's certainly an issue that you encounter every Sunday as we gather here for worship. Because we get together and we listen to the Word of God and the preached Word of God and we hear of God's grace towards us. We hear of the beauty of responding to the grace that God calls us to and that He bestows upon us. But our heart's tendency is that whatever application to Scripture is given, we resist it. We resist that application because we resist giving God the control that He wants in our lives. And every Sunday, each one of us, I get confronted a little bit more as I prepare for Sundays, but confronted again Sunday mornings, this is a very emotional process up here, is confronted with the question that says, shall I be the Lord of my life or shall I have a Lord of my life? Shall I be the boss of my life or shall I submit to the Lord to be the boss of my life? And so it's an issue that each one of us faces is, shall I submit my life? Shall I follow the Lord? Do I obey the Lord? Not just when I want to, but when I don't want to, which is actually obedience. Because when you obey, when you're doing what you want to do, you're just obeying yourself because that's what you want to do. The issue of obedience is obeying when you don't want to do it in particular. And it is important. As Paul Tripp writes, one of the foundational heart issues in the life of every child is authority. Teaching and modeling the protective beauty of authority is one of the foundations of good parenting. Your children must learn early that they have been born into a world of authority and they are not it. Is that children are born with a scepter in their hand. They come out as little regents, little kings over their own fiefdoms or queens over their own little world who live and are determined to live by self-rule. And by the one, they are the ones who are calling the shots. And people, Tripp continues, 
who are committed to self-rule won't submit to the rules of another. And because they won't submit to the rules of another, they won't think that they are wrong or confess their wrongs. And because they don't confess their wrongs, they won't seek God's forgiveness or seek God's help. You could not consider a more central heart issue for every child ever born than this one. To reject authority is to reject God, who is the authority over all authority, and rejection of God has and never will go anywhere good. Now, the reason why God gives this command, which he reminds us here in this verse, is not just because there's bad consequences for not doing so, but he reminds us that children are to obey their parents because God is gracious and wants the best for us. In fact, he says... Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is one of the Ten Commandments. And he emphasizes this is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother. Why? Because God is promising this, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. God is promising that those who are responding to his grace, who are honoring their father and mother, here is the result. Life's going to go better for you. Life will go better for you and you're going to live long, and you're going to live an abundant life. God says, if you honor your father and mother, I am giving you this promise that this is what I am going to do. And so obedience to God is evidence for a Christian that they know God, and it results in God's blessing and God's promises being fulfilled in their lives. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, and God promises blessing upon you for those who do. What better motivation and incentive could there be? And then Paul goes on to give these instructions to parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now notice he does say here, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Why does he emphasize fathers? Is it because fathers tend to provoke their children to anger? Maybe. But more than that, it's because fathers are the authority that God has appointed. And fathers have the God-given responsibility to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Does it extend to wives as well, to both parents? Absolutely. Proverbs 31 would talk about uh, the spirit-filled woman, the godly woman, who is devoted to teaching her children the Word of God. Scripture certainly extends it to both of them. But Paul, in this chapter on family relationships, as we just looked at the husband-wife relationship in the preceding verses, Paul here focuses on fathers because the responsibility being entrusted them to do so. Let us emphasize this and, make, and clarify this, is that parents, fathers in particular, it is your responsibility to instruct your children in the Lord. It is not the church's responsibility. Many of you would say, yes, I agree. One of the things that I get a privilege of doing is just hearing the stories of how God works in people's lives. Some of you who have had no Christian family, no Christian upbringing whatsoever, no exposure to Christianity, come here and you experience the grace of God and it opens up this entire new world of God's grace for you. Other people have challenging or bad experiences in Christian homes and everything in between. And some people have great experiences in Christian homes. But it's very common that people will say, those that have been exposed to Christianity will say something along the lines of, yeah, my parents were Christians and I went to to church my whole life. Now, I certainly hope that everyone who's a child of Cornerstone will say that 15 and 20 years from now. 
But when that's said, there's usually this assumption, I went to church my whole life, therefore, everything that should have been taught to me about Christianity was taught to me, because I went to church my whole life. I've heard it my whole life. Personally, I really appreciate the amount of um, credit, credibility that's given to the 25 minutes that I have, you know, over the course of a week and the impact that that has. That's really tremendous. But the emphasis, is, but the emphasis of Scripture is that it should be in, in, in the homes. And what I hope is that for children of Cornerstone, that years from now when they are asked what's their story, what's their story of the Christian journey, that the way they would respond would be like this, that they would say, I was raised in a Christian home, and my parents instructed me in the ways of the Lord. And we went to a great church that encouraged me in my faith as well. I was, my, my parents taught me what it, mean to, what it meant to have a vibrant relationship with God, and we forced them to go to a great church also. That's the emphasis that Paul is bringing on here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but fathers, parents, you have this responsibility given to you. It's not the church's responsibility. Ours is to come alongside, to equip, to help you. If you say, I've got no idea what to do, we're going to help you with that. But it's your responsibility as parents to do so and to instruct your children in the, way, in the ways of the Lord. Your responsibility to make that happen. Now, what's happened, what typically happens with that in most homes is that that whole responsibility falls to the wife. And the husbands oftentimes exercise very little involvement in the Christian nurture and instruction of their children. Now, some of that is because of abdication of responsibility. Other people, the challenge is the challenge of you're in a job that you travel a whole lot, you go away for periods of time. But nonetheless, it's still your responsibility. So if you consider this, let's just focus on fathers here for a moment. Consider this, let's imagine that you have a work trip coming up, and your work trip that you are going on is focusing on one area of your responsibilities at work. And you've got a whole bunch of other things that you're responsible for. But you're going to be gone for a month. What do you do? Well, you make a plan to make sure that your other responsibilities are covered in your absence so that when you return, you enter back in and those things have flourished and they haven't fallen apart because you have disappeared from the scene. Similarly, what are fathers called to do? The same thing. It's your responsibility. If you've got a work schedule that makes that more challenging, well, what are you going to do about that? Make a plan and follow through with it to encourage it so that your children might know, know the Lord. He then gives a series of instructions. Fathers, first thing he says, do not provoke your children to anger. Other translations say, do not exasperate your children. An old English version says, fathers, do not goad your children to resentment. Great phrase. How does that happen? Well, in many ways, through unreasonable demands. Don't allow for the developing maturity of the child. How do you provoke your children to anger? Through harshness and cruelty. For some, it's because they treat their kids like indentured servants. For others, it's because they have an erratic and inconsistent discipline or erratic or inconsistent involvement in their children's life that really depends upon the mood of the day and the mood of the week. Provoking them to anger happens if, there is, if children are aware that they better get their act right and they better perform because if they don't, dad's not going to love them or dad's going to be out of the relationship. All of those things. But Paul gives the counter in saying, here is, if that's don't provoke your children to anger, here's what you need to be doing instead. 
And the reason why, part of the reason why he gives this instruction is that when a child disobeys, there is a gut reaction within every one of us, certainly within me. There is a gut reaction to bring, to bring about conformity and obedience of the child. And unfortunately, that gut reaction is to bring about conformity and obedience that simultaneously will harden their heart. Paul Tripp gives this challenge. He says, Mom and Dad, you have no ability at all. You have no ability at all by the tone of your voice, by the force of your personality, by your physical size, or by your threats to deliver your children from their addiction to self-rule. You're powerless. If you had that power, Jesus and his work would, would have not been necessary. But Jesus does have that power, therefore you as parents need to beseech Jesus to be the one to be working in your child's life to change their heart. To change their hearts so that they would seek to honor, honor the Lord. And while you are beseeching the Lord to bring that about, what are you to do? You are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Why is that part of the Lord being added on there? Because it is to acknowledge and to recognize that the authority that you have as a parent is not an inherent authority. It is a delegated authority from God to you. As a parent, you have a profound responsibility because you don't simply represent you, but you represent God to your children. You have a delegated authority from God. What this means is that, of course, you should never exercise your authority in a way that is selfish or authoritarian or domineering, but rather to exercise your authority reflective of the way that God exercises his, with wisdom, with love, with long-suffering, with patience, with understanding, with self-sacrifice, with forgiveness. And so a way to evaluate this is to ask yourself this question. What picture of God is created in your children's mind as they see and experience your authority? What picture is created in your children's mind as they see and experience your authority and experience your parenting. Many of you have struggled in your faith because of the relationship with your father. Many of you struggle to understand God's love and acceptance because of the things that happened in your past in your relationship with your earthly father. It's a really strong correlation. The way that children experience their earthly father frames the way that they view their heavenly father. Article from the Washington Times a couple years ago states that sociologists, non-Christian sociologists say it's common for people to perceive that God is like the fatherly figures in their lives. If dad is caring, patient, concerned, then their children will believe that God has those same characteristics and the opposite holds true. That when a father is harsh, judgmental, or absent, when a father's reaction is the number one thing that's needed right now is for you to leave me alone because I need my peace and quiet. When the experience is that God only loves me, my, my father only loves me when I'm doing well and I'm performing and I'm meeting his expectations, what he goes on to say is that holds true and that's projected onto a relationship with their father unto their heavenly father. David Dalahite, professor of family life, says a father has a powerful influence in deep and subtle ways, and it is different than that of a mother. Even though children know intellectually that God is fair, 
loving and kind and patient, it is hard for them to relate to God at a gut level in a deep way if their own father is not that way. That's why Paul emphasizes, fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that you are a representative of the Lord to your children, as you are to be the representative of Christ to your wife and a wife to her husband. Similarly, fathers are the representative of the Lord's authority in their children's life. So what are they to do? It's to acknowledge that. And then he gives them these two charges. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's focus on the discipline aspect of this. Discipline certainly is something that is unpopular today. Our culture holds that parents, that the role of good parenting in our secular culture is that a parent should cultivate the free expression of a child's natural inclinations and desires. That is good parenting. This is taught within our educational system in um, pedagogy for teachers and instructors. This is taught within psychological systems and those with psychology degrees. Um, this theme runs through these factors. Therefore, accordingly, any discipline must not inhibit or deter a child's true self or a child's true desires. In fact, good parents set those things free, is what is regularly taught today. But Scripture calls us that parents together, fathers, mothers, fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And let me give you a slightly different paradigm for understanding the discipline of the Lord. Dan Allender, who is a psychologist, Christian psychologist, wrote a book called How Children Raise Their Parents, which is a book that focuses on how God uses children to sanctify their parents and how God uses children so that the parents might know the Lord better through them. But in part of that, he states, he said, there are two questions that children are always asking. They're always asking these questions. Sometimes they ask them sequentially. Sometimes they ask them in different order. Sometimes they ask them at the same time. Sometimes they ask one of the questions, and Mark way through it, it flips to the other question. But these two questions are always present and always going on in every interaction. And the two questions that are always being asked is, can I get my way? Can I get my own way? It stems back to the, at the beginning. Does the world revolve around me? Am I the center of the universe? Can I get my own way? And the other question that they are constantly asking simultaneously or inverted is, am I loved? Can I get my way and am I loved? Am I genuinely loved? Does someone care about me? Am I loved for who I am? Is there security in the love that is given to me? Is the love that is, for, that is given to me, is that love for me? Now, of course, there's a yes and no to each of these questions. And when you have a yes and no to each of these questions, that develops a nice little two-by-two two matrix that you can work through. I said that for all of you math people there, you know. Other people are like, there's a box. All right, so let's go through the box. Box, quadrant, box, top left. I won't even say quadrant one. Box, top left. Can I get my own way? Yes, you can get your own way. Am I loved? Now think about this. What happens when this works out in a person's life? Can I get my own way? And the, par the, par the reaction of the par parent-child relationship is, yeah, you're able to do whatever you want. And the experience of the child is, I'm not loved. My parents don't care about me. They barely know when I come and go. They don't know the important things that went on in my life. They don't know the tests and exams that I have. They don't know the struggles that are going on in my friends and my relationships. In fact, they don't even know when I come home or, come home or when I go out. And it puts children in an exceedingly dangerous position. 
Because without, the, without that security that comes through knowing that there are boundaries that are safe, what happens then is that then children go and find communities where those boundaries can be expressed and where they can be experienced. Typically, the way that that happens for guys is that guys then rely on their wits to get by and women and girls rely on their bodies. And what happens in the parent-child relationship is that it's very distant. And there's this sense of disdain and being demeaning. Like, can I get, get, can you, yeah, absolutely, just get out of here because I just want, I just want you not around so that I can do what I want to do. And my love, no. Now, another detrimental response is, can I get my own way? No. And my love, no. And what this looks like is that in homes that there is oftentimes a very high level of obedience, oftentimes a very high level of performance and a very high level of success. And that, very, that, 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 that parents are all too eager to bring about discipline, to bring about conformity. And what happens in the relationship is that the family relationship is that there's no joy, there's no love, there, there's, no, there's no compassion, there's no delight in one another. And any that there is is stemming from a person's performance, usually to give the parents peace and quiet. The third one that's also problematic is, can I get my own way and am I loved? The child becomes very indulgent. Oftentimes this happens in affluent families, more so. You know, honey, I love you so much. I will give you whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. I don't want you to be upset with me. You know, I had a bad relationship with my mom, so I'm going to let you do whatever you want because I really want us to be really good friends, and I want you to know, yeah, you can do that. You want that. You can do that. You know, you just need to follow your heart. I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll buy it for you. I will make that happen. And the... the the twist for parents who engage in this type of thing, some of them do so because they, they say, I love my child so much, I don't want to disappoint them in any sort of way. The opposite actually happens. It's that greater distance grows in the relationships because the children instinctively know that my parents, isn't willing to, that my parents aren't willing to suffer for me. My parents aren't willing to do the difficult work of enforcing a boundary. My parents, you know, it's, I, I have, it is sad to me when people share testimony, and I would probably say this is well over two-thirds of the time, when it comes to a topic such as like sex, sexual conduct, relationships, I have so many people who say, yeah, there's all kinds of junk in my past. You know what? I so wish my parents talked to me about this. I so wish they did. And that there is this longing for an, a boundary a longing to know what is right and what is not right and what is acceptable and what is good and what is God-honoring and what ultimately is life-giving. And the net experience is that as, as children are indulged, as they're allowed to do whatever, whatever they want, that relationships with parents grows distant and there is, there is an increased resentment that grows. Ideally, what we want is ultimately the, the fourth, the bottom right. Is can I get my own way? No, you're not the center of your universe, but I do love you deeply and intimately. And you know that the love that I have for you is a love that is for you. It is given to you selflessly, not selfishly. And the net result at the end of it is that in the child is that there is strength of character for a child to learn to obey even when they don't feel like it, 
even when they don't want to do it, that there is a strength of character that is developed from pushing against the boundary that comes from people who love them and who delight in them and who want the best for them. Tying this back to this verse, fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is that God's exercise of authority, discipline, and instruction towards us is always loving. It is always gracious. It is always sacrificial. And it is always for our best interest. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Other half is discipline and instruction. Is that discipline must be paired with instruction because people, we are not born understanding how these two things go together. Paul Tripp writes, here's the bottom line. Your children don't have a clue why they do the things that they do. They don't know why they resist you. They don't know why they argue with you. They don't know why that they think they know better than you. They don't know why they demand their own way. They don't know why they will put themselves through tension and painful situations in order to fight for a little independence. Your children don't know who they are and why they do the things they do. Your children daily suffer from a lack of spiritual self-understanding. And that's called growing up, right? You're, you're born not knowing these things. And as you go through life, as you go through different ages and stages of development, as you go through different hormonal changes, different dynamics of interacting with this world, first 20-some-odd years of a person's life is figuring out who they are. And so in the challenges that parents have with their kids, there needs to be an understanding from the parents that there needs to be instruction because the children don't know these things. He continues, know that your children do not know what true obedience looks like. It's your job to clarify this for them. What is obedience? It's a willing submission of my heart to the authorities that God has placed in my life. What does this willing submission of the heart do? It causes me to be motivated and to find joy doing what the authorities that God has placed in my life have asked me to do. It calls me. What is, what is obedience? It's honoring God by honoring the authorities that God has put into my life, and that is the very best thing for me in this moment. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You see, there is this reason why children struggle with honoring and obeying their parents and why parents struggle with exercising loving authority. There's a reason why children don't want to obey and why parents have anger and impatience in children who don't obey. There's a reason for those things. And the reason is, is that we are people who were born in rebellion against authority. We are born in rebellion against God. And our sinful hearts and our own sinful tendency says, God, I'm not going to submit to you. I'm not going to submit to anyone because I know what's best and I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. We are born that way. And the very nature of our own sinfulness in our children and in ourselves forces this constant moment-by-moment question of, of asking, shall I be the Lord of my life or shall I have a Lord in my life? Shall I be a boss or shall I submit to God as the ultimate authority? And all of us, we're in bondage. And in bondage to being our own independent authority. We're in bondage to our own regency and our own self-rule. 
But Jesus Christ came to break the bondage that we have been in to our own independent authority, and he did so by submitting his will to the will of the Father. Consider this, that in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is praying, as drops of blood are are before him, as the anguish that he is in, knowing that he is about to go to the cross, his prayer is, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. He's saying, I don't want to do it. But not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus set us free from the tyranny of self-rule through his own radical obedience his own radical submission of his own will to the will of the Heavenly Father that sent him to the cross where he tortured and died, was separated, isolated, alienated, drawn apart from from his Heavenly Father who he had existed with in perfect harmony and unity from before the foundation of the world. Plunged into darkness in submission to the will of his Father so that he could rise to new life so that you and so that me, so that we, would be set free from the tyranny of our own self-rule. God is the one who possesses all authority. He is the he is all love. And so Paul calls us as spirit-filled Christians, may we honor God by honoring the authorities that he has put in our lives and may we reflect God as we exercise the authority that he has given to us. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for your spirit to be at work in us, to free us from the tyranny of self-rule, to free us from the lie that says that the best thing for me is to get what I want, when I want, how I want it, whenever I want it. Lord, would you set us free? And Father, would you use us as parents to show the beauty, the love, the wisdom and grace of your authority that you so graciously work on our behalf? Lord, for we here who are children, would you work in us to honor our parents, to obey them, that we would live long and have a great life, as you promised to do. Lord, will we do this, not out of for selfish gain, but we do it because it's a picture of the way that you so graciously love us and relate to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.